Hello everyone, it's Precious Pioneer and welcome back to another episode of Precious the Foodie. I'm so happy to have you here. Our little community is continuing to grow each week and thank you so much for supporting me and the show. Jumping into this week's shout outs, we have one from Mama's Chem, M-A-M-A-S-C-H-E-M. <laughs> she says, It's refreshing to listen to a real person. She's smart, has a positive attitude, and is digging right into the issues that are currently reshaping our world using food culture as a vehicle. Keep me coming. Thank you so much for that shout out. That was really nice. If any of you want to be featured in next week's shout out, just write a review on Apple Podcasts letting me know what you think about the show. But today I have a special guest. She's been on an incredible food journey. I wanted to take this moment to point out, in this show, foodie plays a different role in everyone's lives. For me, being a foodie, I care about everything and anything related to food, how I eat it, how it's made, how it impacts everyone's lives and how it's intertwined in everyone's day-to-day, and how that also changes throughout the world, but also it can be a resource, something to marvel at, culture, medicine, a sense of joy, as we've discussed on previous episodes. But food also plays different roles depending on how it's consumed, the quantity, and the quality. But I think understanding that role depends on us as individuals, and it can change over time. So today we're transitioning. From more is better, obesity, to bliss in our bodies, weightless. Hi, welcome to Precious the Foodie Podcast, the show that will uncover stories through palettes and memories. My name is Precious Pioneer, your host. I'm a chef, a creative, and a foodie. I'm meeting people all over the world using food as a medium to highlight truths into bite-sized pieces. I am Jen Espinosa Gaswami, and don't worry, there's no test on my last name. It's easier than it sounds. <laughs> I am the chief motivational officer over at Weightless, which is my own motivational speaking company. I grew up as a girl who was morbidly obese, which means that medically I was at least 100 pounds over my ideal body weight. And that was not something that brought me down. I had a very happy childhood, but eventually in college, I realized that this was not a sustainable lifestyle for me. And I took control of my own health and lost 100 pounds. A few years later, I decided to share my story of losing 100 pounds with no support with the world. And I had a really good response. So that's how I created my company, Weightless. That's really cool. Just a few questions about your childhood. What was your relationship with food to cause you to have uh, such a medical condition? Were you active um, in the community? You know, kids usually play in sports and different things like that. What kind of relationship with food did you have? And then how did that correspond to your health? That's a really great question, Precious. Actually, it's kind of funny because I used to believe that people who referred to themselves as foodies meant that they liked to eat. A lot of quantity of food so I always considered myself a foodie and that resulted in me thinking that more was better and so if I was eating one of my favorite meals I grew up 
as in a mixed family, my father's Hispanic, my mother is white. So we grew up eating a mixture of stroganoff from my mom's side of the family and tacos from my father's side of the family. So to me, I enjoyed all of it. I enjoyed it in large quantities. Um, I never concerned myself with, I need to control what I'm eating just because I figured I'm a foodie. I love food. So I eat more of the food. And (laughs) unfortunately that resulted in me uh, gaining weight. My mom was very encouraging to me. Like my, my pediatrician would tell me all the time, you are having issues. I had high triglycerides as a kid, which means I had fat in my blood, which is not a good thing. Mm -hmm. It's sometimes a precursor to diabetes and things like that. So my pediatrician was concerned and my mom was very supportive of making sure I ate veggies in every meal. You know, that was something she cooked home food for us all the time. We didn't really eat a lot of fast food until I was maybe a teenager and I'm the youngest of four kids. So my mom did a really good job of encouraging some really healthy habits, including eating the veggies, eating the home cooked food. I just like to eat a whole lot of it. And unfortunately, even though I was a very active young child, um, that exercise was not enough to offset the sheer amount of food that I was eating. I was also a latchkey kid. So growing up in the 80s, the youngest kid of four, I would often be the first one who came home from school because I could walk home from school. My elementary school was very close by to home. So I'd walk home and I'd be home between three and five usually by myself. My mom returned to work after I started school. So I was home by myself. I got to eat whatever I wanted. Nobody was in my face. Nobody was criticizing what I was eating or how much I was eating. And I tended to hide some of what I was eating in the times when I was actually alone in the house because it didn't happen a lot. Mm -hmm. So I had some um, disordered eating patterns. I just felt like, you know, I love food. I'm going to keep eating food. This is a good thing. I'm very active. I was overall healthy. And I participated in sports in school. So it's not as if I wasn't, you know, exercising. I biked all the time with my family. We're a very active family. Did a lot of things together. So I figured, you know, that made me a healthy person. And I never worried about dieting when I was young. Right. When you're in school, I wanted to know, usually children who go through certain things like you have in school, it's more prone to um, biases and bullying and things like that. And there's usually like an emotional attachment to weight loss or weight gain or whatever it may be in eating habits. And so did you face any of those sort of adversities growing up? Was it harder to make friends or did people look at you a certain way or perceive you a certain way, even though you're capable, you may have been capable in sports or, um, education or different things like that. Um, Yeah, I certainly had a lot of experiences as a kid. I was bullied all the time uh, because everywhere I went, not a lot of kids were obese back in the 80s and 90s. It just didn't happen a lot. So I was typically the heaviest kid in my class. Pretty much every single school I went to, every situation I was in, I was the heaviest person in my group of friends, but I had a core group of friends. And they were very supportive and amazing people. So I never felt like I was lacking support. My family loved me. My friends loved me. But yes, I did have those moments when I would just cry on the playground because someone I didn't even know would harass me or kick me or compare me to a whale. Or there were so many instances where this happened or people I met for the first time would make some judgments or, uh, comments to me that were not called for. I also had situations in my family, if we had picnics or barbecues or gatherings, where they would comment about uh, 
the whole you're so pretty in the face kind of comment or you're growing so big but not necessarily just referring to my height <laughs> things like that mm-hmm. so I experienced that on a regular basis and I'm not gonna lie it did bring me down at least that moment that day but overall I was a very great kid I, I was comfortable in my family I was comfortable in who I was as a person and I simply told myself you know these people don't know me or they can't appreciate who I am but I'm intelligent I'm doing well in school I have great friends they just don't know me if they did know who I was as a person they wouldn't be that nasty to me yeah I think that's a I think that's a really good insight to have especially when you're so young and I definitely think your support group, really played a huge role in that because I know that a lot of people aren't as lucky. Um, so I think that's really great that you're, you were able to take such a, a unique experience and turn it into something in, empowering for other people who are going through the same thing. You mentioned that in college is when you kind of had your pivot moment of, okay, let me evolve into a little bit of a healthier lifestyle. What kind of thoughts and ideas led into that transition? So my defining moment in terms of deciding to start my weight loss journey for, for as a child, I was never interested in dieting. So I know the average age for most young girls to start dieting is between eight and 10. I was not one of those kids, even though I had plenty of reasons to focus on eating less. I never did against my pediatrician's advice against sometimes my mother's advice. I didn't really care to diet until college. And the reason I decided to make a change was because someone who was very important to me passed away just about a month or two before I graduated college. She was my grandmother, Grandmother Espinosa. Um, she was a very inspirational woman to me. She um, was a primarily Spanish speaking woman. She did learn English eventually from her children when they went to school but um, she didn't have much of an education. She was an eighth grade educated woman and she raised her family of six, mostly on her own because her husband passed away long before I was born of heart, a heart attack. So she was able to somehow raise these six children on her own. She cooked a lot of really delicious homemade food like tamales and copiatada and all sorts of things that, um, mm-hmm. that, that my friends at school didn't, had never even heard of. And she was there for every single defining moment of my life. So when she passed away, um, she'd been struggling with heart disease for many, many years. And time and time again, she defied the odds and survived whatever challenges she was going through. She was a very devout Catholic. And she would say, God is providing for me. You know, God bless you. She she really was strong in her faith. But, um, but God took her away that year. And I took a look at my life and I thought to myself, yes, I'm, I'm healthy, you know, relatively healthy. I am a very good student. I am supporting myself. I was paying my own way through college. I was doing all the good things, you know, but I realized that I was still gaining weight every year, despite being an active person, despite you supporting myself and doing all these things, I was continuing to gain weight. And I realized that in 10, 15, 20 years, whatever, I may be one of those people who is going through the grocery store in a scooter or a wheelchair because I'm unable to do much else. And I didn't want that life for me. I didn't want that future for me. And I also realized that um, my opportunities for having my own family 
would be limited if I was continuing to gain weight year after year, if I was no longer able to be active, if I was no longer able to fit into the world. I had experiences where I was getting, my hips were getting large enough that I couldn't fit into seats like bus seats or roller coaster seats because I loved roller coasters. I was no longer mm-hmm. able to fit into the world and that was challenging for me. Plus size clothing was not as available back then. And I was reaching those higher ranges. I was reaching 26, size 26. And so it was getting more difficult for me to live on a daily basis. And I did not want to keep going down that path. So I said, Mm -hmm. okay, I'm going to change. I have no idea what that looks like right now. I'm going to change. This is not who I'm going to be. This is not who I'm going to be defined as. And one year later, I lost 100 pounds. Wow. Okay. And so what was that journey like? Because I know... So many people who initially start to lose weight. But the thing is, though, I'm actually, it's so funny, I'm actually reading a book on habits. And one of the biggest things that they mention uh, to break a habit is that you have to make it attractive. You have to get that same dopamine level as you do for eating unhealthy as you do for eating healthy or working out. It has to be inspirational to you to continue to do it and implement it in your lifestyle, you know, because something like weight loss isn't something that can be a fad or a trend that can happen instantaneously, uh, like instant results and all these different things. And then also you have to keep it off to maintain that health so um, you can have a sustainable future. And so what was your uh, weight loss journey like? What did you do? What did you implement um, to lose 100 pounds? Yeah. So first of all, when I started out, I had no idea I'd be successful at it because I had no history of trying any sort of diet and I had no reason to believe in myself, but I did anyway. And um, the first month I just said, okay, I don't have any money to join a support group. I don't want to pay for one of those poisonous shakes that are supposed to give you all your nutrition in a day. I just wasn't interested in that because anything I tried to do, I wanted it to be something that I could maintain for life. And I didn't want to buy into any particular program that, you know, benefits from people keeping on the program for life. So I said, well, I want to do something that I can keep doing on my own and continue to do it throughout the course of my life. So I set some guidelines around that. I said, it's got to be lifelong, sustainable for me. It's got to be eating food that I enjoy eating. So I mentioned earlier when I was younger, I thought being a foodie meant I ate in quantity. But what I realized was it to me, being a foodie means that you eat till you're satisfied. And because a lot of the food I was eating was processed, boxed, canned, uh, all those sorts of things, there was not a lot of fiber, there was a lot of sugar, there were a lot of carbs, simple carbs. Mm -hmm. So I had to relearn how to eat. And and that means that I had to eat for um, not just flavor, because that was very important to me, but I had to learn how to eat to be satisfied. And that's not easy when you're used to eating 4000 calories a day. And I knew I was not a person who was going to be able to, for the long term, eat salad all day long, because I don't like salad. I don't like raw veggies. It's just not something that I would do. And I know that about myself. So it started with a place of here are my guidelines. I'm not going to eat salad all day. I'm not going to drink shakes. And I also don't have a lot of money. So I had to relearn. I added fiber. I focused on what can I add to this lifestyle of mine to make it easier for me. Like you said, it had to be motivational for me. So how can I add more of the foods I like? Well, I love legumes. I love nuts. I love whole grains. So I said, I can eat more of those things and they all have a good amount of fiber. So they'll keep me full Mm -hmm. and satisfied. So that was my, one of my 
pieces that I incorporated. Also, at the time, I wasn't old enough to drink, so alcohol was never an issue for me. And I wasn't drinking coffee. And I said, okay, I'm not going to drink any of my calories. So no sodas, no juices, no, no drinks other than water and perhaps occasionally milk. At the time I was mm-hmm. drinking dairy milk. I don't drink dairy milk milk today, but at the time mm-hmm. I was. So I said, these are the only drinks I will drink. Otherwise, I am never going to drink my calories. So I set those particular guidelines for myself. And one of the most important things was I had to create awareness around what I was doing. Most of us are not really aware because habits are subconscious, unconscious. They happen mm-hmm. in the background without us being aware of what we're doing. So I had to put a spotlight on my habits. Like how much was I actually eating? Like what kinds of foods was I eating? Are these foods supportive of my lifelong plan to reach a more ideal weight for myself? And they weren't. Uh, That first month I journaled and chronicled every single bite I ate and it was not pretty. I mean, I was eating quite a few calories per day. I certainly didn't need those calories even for my active lifestyle. And I realized I wasn't eating enough of those whole grains and legumes and nuts. I wasn't eating enough vegetables. Now, vegetables, I had a complicated relationship with them. I grew up, <laughs> I grew up with canned veggies, and I still will not touch a pea from a can because it's completely disgusting to me. I remember mm-hmm. nearly vomiting when I was eating that as a kid. So, you know, I have a troubled relationship with canned goods when it comes to vegetables. But over time, over the course of that year, when I was trying to incorporate more healthy eating habits, I had to learn how to cultivate a love for vegetables. And for me, that meant I cooked them. I also cooked them with different seasonings and spices. I love spice. I'm Hispanic. Mm-hmm. I married an Indian guy. So I like my curry. I like my you know chili pepper. I love all the heat. Wow. So That's so funny. Like Indian, like, but Indian food is like mostly vegetable based. So I think that's, I, I don't know how he played a role, but I think that's really impactful to say the least. I just interviewed um, someone from India and he was describing the majority of their cuisine and it's because they don't have a lot of access to meat that most of their dishes are what what you love legumes and uh beans and yes. veg, well vegetables and sauce so please continue let me tell you the indians can do things with potatoes that you would never imagine possible it's so delicious but yeah no if you ever want to go vegetarian indian cuisine is a good place to start but <laughs> So I set those guidelines for myself. I created awareness and spotlighted the habits I was currently doing. And then I said, here's what I'm going to focus on. And, um, and I had to review and revisit every so often, every few months, I made sure I weighed myself every week, not as a punishment or as a guidepost for you need to lose this much weight, but as an understanding of what am, what am I doing and is it working? And every week I would revisit that and say, okay, if it's not working, okay, what else can I do that still fits my guidelines and um, still feels good to me and manageable for me? And then I threw out anything that wasn't working. So I had an interesting, you know, a lot of experiences. I was learning how to cook and I always cooked for myself. So it's not that I didn't know how to cook. I'm obsessed with cooking shows and techniques and been watching them on PBS since I was a kid. And now I watch Food Network all the time. So I know how to cook. But at the time, I didn't really know how to cook things, both ingredients that I'm familiar with and ingredients that I'm not familiar with. So I had to mm-hmm. learn how to incorporate those ingredients that I never played around with. I, I never had experience cooking. When I was a kid, my mom almost never let us in the kitchen while she was cooking because we had a very small kitchen and there were four of us kids. So she shooed us away from the kitchen so she could focus on cooking. 
So I had to learn a lot of those things on my own. I subscribed to some magazines. I just experimented. I'm a big fan of like trying new things, being curious about different cuisines and cultures. My, <laughs> my bachelor's degree is in global studies. So I studied in Europe for a while and I experienced some of the foods out there, ended up marrying an Indian man. So for me, exploration and creativity in the kitchen is very important. Yeah. I th- and I think honestly, that's what being a foodie is about at least, you know, I think you hit the nail on the head. I don't think it's necessarily eating the most food, (laughs) but I think it's about eating better food or trying new things or caring about what is in food, food in the essence of not just the meal, but all the components that create that unique flavor or the special knife cuts that make it look like a flower or whatever it may be. (laughs) Um, I think destination, the culture behind the food that you're eating, the traditional Edition. I think it's so imp- I think it's so interesting and so cool that um your life alone has impact like has touched and influenced so many different types of food on your palate and <laughs> I'm envious of you you have um a white background and you said your mom made a stroganoff and I think is that German or it's Polish. German yeah but she was German or okay. Polish so she did right. know, okay. and things like that so yeah That's <laughs> so you get the you get the really good dumpling side of you know white culture <laughs> and then you have you know Spanish background and so my mom is Mexican so I completely understand the whole tamales and like salsa like all of that and then now you married an Indian man and so now you just have like a whole nother plethora of like culture and food and Honestly, I think that's what being a foodie is about, just being passionate about all those different types of foods and willing to try new things. Yes. And and that's why I have a beef, not no pun intended there, with a lot of the diet industry. Um, it's one of the reasons I never entered into that industry as a kid. And while I'm kind of anti-diet today as, you know, I'm in the industry because I'm a motivational speaker on health topics, but I hate these kinds of, you know, elimination diets that say, oh yeah, I have a smoothie for breakfast and a salad for lunch and I don't eat this and I don't eat sugar and I don't eat, like, I feel like when you you put your focus on eliminating and not eating certain foods, it, it limits you and it makes you feel like a craving for those things that you don't allow yourself to have either. I mean, if you're allergic, obviously you cannot for health reasons, But I don't see a purpose to people who are saying, don't eat this, don't eat that. I feel that all food has a place in our life. It's just a matter of how you balance the food and how you incorporate the food. There are healthier ways to do that and less healthy ways to do that. But I do feel that all food, regardless of whether it's a carb or a protein or a fat, has a place in our life. And Mm -hmm. you can have it all, just perhaps not all at once like I used to. (laughs) <laughs> no, I I can't agree with you more. I've always um have been an advocate for uh people who want to lose weight or become transition to a healthier lifestyle. Dieting just isn't the way. You have to make a lifestyle change. And then I feel like just and now and you're right. The whole takeaway thing really isn't a strong motivator to continue that because at the end of the day, like. If you want a slice of cake or whatever it may be and you limit yourself, are you going to like say that you're not going to have that for the rest of your life? That's ridiculous. But okay, maybe two or three slices in one sitting, then maybe, you know, you can balance it out and just have one and then the cake will always be there tomorrow. That is like, so that's my, that's my go-to like motivator. Like, Hey, like if you want it, it'll be there tomorrow. And if you want it, then that's okay. So the fact is like, don't, 
limit what you can and can't have, just limit the amount and understand how the relationship with food, you know? So sometimes you have to question why you're consuming certain things because it is a habit. Like if you're watching TV, you'll want to reach for a bag of chips and then you catch yourself finishing the whole bag. Developing good habits of maybe just putting it in a bowl and then if you want another one, you have to get up and then refill it. And half the time we just don't want to. It's automatic, you know? We don't realize that we're just consuming it, you know what I mean? So it's establishing good habits and realizing the balance of like what you're eating and plays a huge role. Like if you have a really heavy breakfast maybe substitute for a lighter lunch and then transition you know you but the biggest thing to say is that there's no one diet that fits everyone and I think that's the big misconception about those dieting organizations or whatever who are like oh just drink a shake and only eat lettuce or whatever maybe but someone who is really active in their day needs a lot more carbs and to energy to like get them through the day they need something heavier you know so Mm -hmm. If you realize how nutrients work and how they play in your in your lifestyle, I think that's the most beneficial way to go about it, you know, because mirroring other people won't work for you because everyone's body and everyone's lifestyle is a lot different. Yes. Um, like you could have a completely sedentary lifestyle, but if they're like, okay, just bulk up on quinoa, you know, you're it's still calories and you'll you'll maintain the same, you know, it'll be healthier. But if you're like not moving at all, you don't need to consume as much, you know, so you need to just really kind of balance, like realize what you're doing in your life and kind of make small changes according to what makes you happy. Right. And I don't think, and I don't think just eliminating everything, like never eating this again, you know, is ideal because of course we're going to want those things. It's just the amount and how we're using it in our life. You know, it was previously not the healthiest version of what we could do. And I think we're all just kind of trying to become better people. Right. And I also want to throw out there because I was eating quite a few calories per day. I wasn't always eating because I was hungry, or at least I wasn't hungry physically for food. I just misinterpreted what I was hungry for. So for those people who, you know, identify with emotional eating or stress eating, or find themselves at the bottom of an ice cream pail and they didn't even realize they had started eating or they have habits where they're multitasking at the time they're eating, they may be struggling with whether they're actually physically hungry. And I've worked with clients in the past who literally didn't know when they were hungry or couldn't identify the physical cues of hunger. And I know for sure that I was in that place at one time in my life. And I think what was helpful for me is, like you mentioned, Precious, is the the waiting. Oh, there's it's still there tomorrow. It will still be there tomorrow. For me, meal timing was also very important in the beginning. I have reached a, a comfortable place now. I know when I'm hungry physically. I didn't always know that, though. And it took me some time and energy to figure that out. But meal timing was very helpful to help me get to that place. So initially, when I was growing up, I would have, you know, three meals a day and probably two snacks, maybe three if I was staying up really late. But as mm-hmm. I started meal timing differently, I would make sure to eat every three to four hours. And I ate a balanced mix of protein, fat and carbs, because I use mostly a macro based plan of eating. Mm-hmm. And um, the fact that, you know, I ate very small portions because I was eating every three hours, but I could just be satisfied because I knew that, oh, I'm going to eat another meal again in three hours or four hours, whatever that shook out to in my day. And that felt good enough for me because I wasn't hungry, hungry. My stomach wasn't growling. Neither was I completely full and gorged like I had become used to. So the fact of knowing that, oh, there's another meal coming soon. 
it was kind of irritating sometimes if I had a busy schedule going on, but it also was a relief to know I'm not going to be hungry. And this food that I'm eating is the right mix and right balance for what I need. So that was Mm -hmm. a helpful thing for me to learn how to recognize what hunger felt like. No, I think, I think that's a really important thing to mention because you're right. Sometimes it's it is all subconscious and we don't realize when we're at we don't need necessarily because we're whether we're hungry or not we kind of just do it out of habit like how you said you used to come home and if nobody was home you would eat and then hide food and things like that I feel like there's all these different factors that kind of play a role into into our our diet I guess and what we should eat but I kind of wanted to transition and ask you um now that you're I guess there's not you're not necessarily at the end of your journey, but you're continuing it. And you got into a health coach position. Can you describe uh, what you do and how you got there? Sure. So initially, when I started Weightless, which is my company, it was a motivational speaking company. I have a big passion for sharing simple life lessons that I learned along the way of my 100 pound weight loss and audiences were really encouraged and supported by my messages. So I started that company while I was working my full time job, I was working in financial services for about 16 years. Um, That was kind of my side business that I was working on, like sharing these messages. It was a challenge for me because I was working full time. I had a family. I was going to school for my master's degree during some of that period as well. So my time was very limited and trying to get into companies that offered lunch and learn programs, which is typically what I offer for organizations is lunch and learn seminars on health and wellness. So some of them have to do with food. Some of them have to do with fitness. And I'm a big fan of incorporating fitness into your daily life, not necessarily belonging to a gym, but finding that right movement for you and making it fun. So these presentations were things that I couldn't necessarily take a lunch break from my my corporate job to go and deliver these presentations. So there were some challenges. And um, for the audiences I did present to, I would have people come up to me and say, I'm so inspired and I want to take action. What is the next step? So I decided to start health coaching and, um, Health coaching was always a passion of mine because I'm one of those people who's really good at active listening. If I'm in a group of people, I am the one who's listening, not speaking, which people may think as a speaker, don't you end up being the one who speaks all the time? Well, not in a group setting. I will most likely be listening to what's happening, hearing what's not being said and reflecting back to people what I think the core element of the conversation is. So, you know, sometimes it gets deep. And I took that uh, natural talent into my coaching relationship because when I talk to people about their eating habits or their exercise habits or their inability to motivate themselves, of course, it went way much deeper than the technicalities of, you know, eat less and move more. That wasn't it. So I really wanted to help people get to the bottom of, of their root causes, if you will. And I'm a data nerd, so I did a lot of... Um, financial analysis when I was in my job. I massaged a lot of data. I did spreadsheet work. I looked at the macro trends of everything. So I was basically Mm. applying those skills to a coaching relationship along with my active listening skills. And, um, And it was really helping my clients like understand themselves even more because in a coaching relationship, you don't necessarily tell people what to do. You help them come to their own answers by reflecting back to them 
Um, what, what is coming out for them? What is most important to them? And until you answer what's most important to you, it is really difficult to make change happen, much less sustain it over time. And that's what I'm seeing with a lot of these programs out there is they're not allowing people to step into their power to take control, um, you know, first creating that awareness, but also take control of their goals and learn how to self-motivate. Not everyone knows how to do that. It's a very challenging skill set. So I wanted to empower people to self-motivate. And um, with my assistance, I, I can help them with the strategy and the plans. And I still do that to some extent through my healthy at home strategy sessions. I don't have any long-term coaching relationships currently because I'm focusing more. I became a full-time entrepreneur several years ago and I'm focusing more on the speaking and presenting and podcast interviews, just like this one. So I really love to share that empowerment message that we all are capable of amazing things, even if we don't have a history that tells us we can. And I just want people to know that they do have the power and there is assistance there if they are finding it hard to self-motivate. And that's one of the reasons also that I like to motivate younger generations as well. I'm raising two daughters, so uh, motivating the teenagers and the young college kids, because that's a really tough, I didn't grow up in this this culture of social media. That's That wasn't my experience. And I had enough challenges yeah. as a kid anyway, without those added things and added layers to it. But a lot mm -hmm. of the kids these days are growing up where their life is very public and where people are not very nice to each other in their public personas. And I don't want that to be the case. I don't want people to go down on themselves because other people are being nasty to them. There's just more exposure to those things. So um, mm -hmm. I'm doing an ed talk on that, actually, growing healthy bodies. What does that mean? What does it mean when you have a child who is overweight or obese? And how can you support them as a parent? These are topics that I'm very passionate about because I have personal experience. But I also feel like there aren't enough voices out there saying, no, we need to change this conversation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you're right. That's the exposure when it comes to social media is a completely different ballgame and especially with the washed over perfect look. And I think one of your uh, catchphrases is like the, as someone who looks different, the un, an unexpected marathon runner, like that's your stick, you know, to stand out because at the end of the day, like someone who is healthy isn't someone who just sits inside and eats salad every single day or rabbit food is what you call it. And I think the whole idea and conception behind that um, really does is empowering because it really d does stem from the idealism of like the perfect like woman of like Instagram. And I don't think that really reflects who we are you know there's everybody's so different and um to see food in a healthy way i think is the most empowering thing anyone can do especially when someone's making that pivot and that transition yes and the unexpected marathon runner is so funny because i never intended to be a marathon runner it just kind of came up as an opportunity and within 24 hours i knew it was something i had to sign up for so it's kind of funny because uh, I'm an active kid. I've always been. And I, I love physical activity. It's my number one stress relief. But I never liked running. I have nightmares of having to do the one mile run back in school. I hated it. I, I still and when I signed up for the marathon, I actually had discovered that I have allergy induced asthma. 
So I can't breathe properly. And I signed up in spring when the allergies are strong. So I'm like, what am I doing? Am I setting myself up to fail? But I really, I really needed that physical challenge because it challenged me mentally as well. I actually self-coached myself through a lot of my run because it was one of the most challenging physical things I've ever done in my life. Wow. Okay. I've always sat on the idea of doing a marathon. Would you say that it's worth training for? Because I'm the same way. I love physical activity. I've always done sports my entire life. I'll do kickboxing. I'll do dancing. I'll do anything. I'll do cycling, but running is my nemesis. Like I just really don't enjoy it. And it's, I don't know whether it's just you breathe heavy or your feet hurt. I really just don't know what the relationship there, but, um, I'm just curious, like, what was it worth it for you? Um, so it was worth it in the sense that it pushed me to limits I had never pushed before. And that's saying a lot because I, I ran it a couple of years ago. I was just about to turn 40. That was my milestone run. So I wanted to complete it by the time I turned 40. And um, physically, it was good for me because I had been in a slump. So I typically change up what I'm doing for exercise every six to eight weeks. And by change it up, I mean, I make it a little heavier, I make it a little faster, I make it a little more challenging, or I sign up with a different group, change my environment, you know, I've done home fitness, I've done studio fitness, I've done dance, I love it. But I was kind of running out of options. And I was getting kind of bored with my options. So you may relate to this precious, but I was just kind of bored. I'm like, I want something different. But I also want something challenging. And it was definitely challenging. It was to be fair, it was a half marathon. So I wasn't even ready to go full force with the 26.2 miles. I did 13.1. That's still good. 13. Yeah. And that was, that was about my upper limit. I have no desire to run a marathon, (laughs) like a full marathon, no desire. Um, But I will say that I still run today. Like for me, once I was able to run 13.1 and I was walking the last three miles. So it's not like I was like awesome photo finish. The race had closed down by the time I reached the finish line. My family was the only one at the finish line and they were concerned oh. that I wasn't going to make it. So, you know, it was, um, I was past the time that the race ended technically. So I'm a very slow runner and I own that. Like I still finished it and, um, and I still run today, but I'm able to run three miles. No problem right now. Whereas before, uh, one mile would have been sufficient or maybe two miles at the upper. So I think that once you push yourself to a place that you didn't know you could go, you settle down into a maintenance place that is still higher than you ever would have dreamed for yourself. And that allows you to continue on and perhaps continue to challenge yourself. There's always another race you can run. There's always a higher level of difficulty you can sign up for. But once you kind of go all full force in, it feels easier to go back down to a lower level, but it is still challenging for many people. So I guess that's what I would say is um, it's worth it for sure. But uh, have a good training plan and have good support because I had a coach who was helping me and injuries are a thing, are a regular thing. So even experienced runners have injuries all the time. So it was really important yeah, for me true. to have that that support system. No, that's, that's so true. And I- I don't know. I feel slightly motivated now. I feel like it's definitely feasible. It's just that discipline. And I think even if you don't have that discipline, um, it can shape you to have have one. One of my uh, friends is a runner and her strategy is to just sign up. And usually running a marathon isn't 
cheap. You have to pay like $100, $200 because it usually goes to some cancer organization or something good, you know? And so she's like, well, now you, you already spent your money, so you might as well train for it so you don't die at the end you know you might as well just you might as well, you might as well just go for it at this point it's either you train and your race is easier or you just wasted two hundred dollars and so that, you know that's her strategy and I think it's pretty effective so maybe I'll maybe I'll try it maybe I'll try it out you should go for it I'm cheering you on <laughs> Okay, so something that I like to do with all of my guests on the show is that um, if the listeners didn't have the opportunity to listen to the entire show and you wanted to leave them with something encouraging or the gist of what we talked about, a way to just say something before you exit out the door and drop the mic, I suppose, what would that be? I would say that if you're deciding to make a change in your life, um, whether it comes to your health or just your habits in general, I would say, first of all, you don't need permission from anyone, anyone but yourself. You are the only one who can give yourself permission to make the change that you need to make. And also knowing that, don't don't concern yourself with what other people think is best for you. Trust your own gut instincts. Like you probably have a good sense of what would work for you versus what wouldn't work for you. So don't let anyone else's voice, whether it's the experts, the gurus, news articles, research studies, don't let those things speak louder than your own inner voice. Because if you tap into what works for you, it will be a lifestyle change and it will be something that will feel easier, not easy, but easier than if you listen instead to other people's advice and what they think might be helpful for your situation. Your voice should be more powerful than their voice when it comes to things that you need for your best life. Awesome, I really love that. So just trust yourself yes. because only only you know what's best for you. Yes. I, I think that's really great. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much, Jen, for being a guest on the show. We are so happy to have you. Do you have any social media or any connections uh, where people can reach you at? Absolutely. My main digital home is weightlesschronicles.com. And there's a lot of free resources there. So one of my favorite free resources is called the five days to body bliss challenge because I don't want you to get skinny. I want you to be blissful in your body. So that challenge will help you get there. It's an e-course delivered to your email. You can opt in at my website. I also am on all the social media, but I have different handles. So I'm just going to share my Instagram with you. It is Jen, J-E-N-N, spin, go. And you can follow me there and learn all about what I'm doing, uh, my latest adventures, and come, come have a private message with me. I'd love to share more with you. Thank you so much, Jen, for being a guest on the show. It was such a pleasure to have you on. Um, listeners, if you want to contact and reach Jen, I'll leave all of her information in the show notes. And if you'd like to keep up with the show, Precious the Foodie, you can find us on Instagram at Precious the Foodie. Or if you want to keep in touch with uh, me and find our videos, we also have a YouTube channel under Precious Pioneer. If you really enjoyed the show, please leave a review in Apple Podcasts. That really helps to support me and the creation of this show but thank you again live life with love and love food with life bye guys see you next time